You know, we've been talking over these last weeks about how to battle sin. And we've been talking about what's inside of us, right? So let's just go ahead and throw this photo up. The last week here, we'll use this, throwing it up. And uh, this image represents what's going on inside of us. It's pretty complex what's going on inside, right? Like we can barely understand ourselves, right? And there's times where we're like, I, why doesn't my husband or my wife or my kids, why don't they get me? Well, man, we barely get ourselves, let alone having somebody else understand us, right? And so being able to grasp some of the complexity of what's going on inside, super important. And so you see this sea here, this giant sea of selfishness. It's like all over inside, right? That's called the flesh. Romans chapter 8 talks about three different pieces, the flesh and then the mind and the spirit, right? So we have the flesh all over inside, and then we've got the mind and the spirit that are literally being renewed or transformed over the course of time as the Holy Spirit takes up residence. It's like the boat afloat on the water, It's like the boat afloat. It's got the mind and the spirit afloat on the sea of selfishness. Man, that's you and me. There's a lot of complex that comes down in that as we're moving along. And then this boat, the Holy Spirit taking up residence when you're saved, Holy Spirit comes in that boat. You're not alone in it. And he begins to do a transforming work, that boat being built up, the edges being made higher, the boat being made more buoyant, God doing a transforming work in us as we learn to take a stand with him and for him in this world, right? That's what we have going on. And so we see this boat afloat on the sea of selfishness, and then we have a couple of things pushing down on the boat. And we have the world that presses down, and we have the devil that presses down. And both of those biblically coming in to press down, make us more aware of self, making us want to go after self. As the boat's getting pushed down, it brings those edges ever closer to the water. And as it dips down, all of a sudden, whoosh, the water comes in. And that sea of selfishness floods in. And in that moment, that's when we decide, all right, that's it, I'm going after sin right now. That's what's happening. As we see this water come in of selfishness that floods into the boat, we start thinking about me and whatever it is, and we go after that. And all of a sudden, we start going, what am I doing? And Lord, please forgive me. That confession is when we're starting to bail that right back out. God, please forgive me. And I'm longing to get this boat upright. And Lord, I'm longing to get it dry again. No more selfishness in this. And that's our walk daily regularly as we go through that battle. And so we talked about the world and the devil pressing in. We also have this giant sea of selfishness that's kind of raging, right? Whatever events happen, different things come in to our lives each day, things that are said, things that occur. It's like a big giant rock that splashes in and it causes this wave of selfishness in response, right? And that wave kind of slapping up against the boat and, and man, we got to get our boat out of there right? And the Holy Spirit doing some directing on that as we now try to learn to navigate those waters. The mind and the spirit afloat on the sea of selfishness and the world and the devil pushing down the flesh slapping up against it. That's what we've been talking about over these past weeks and how to go after that. So today we're just going to have one simple message as we bring it to a close. You are not alone. Man, this battle that we go after, you are not alone doing it. It's not just you having to say, all right, that's it. I'm going to make this happen. Here we go. I'm going to try to muscle this thing in. Like, it's not, everybody's saying, not that. 
Dude, it's not just you putting forth effort. Yes, there is responsibility on our behalf, but it isn't just get it done, man. God is with you in this. And we're going to walk through today an uh, absolutely cool observation that was made. I read this past this week. Somebody had made this observation and written it down. And uh, man, God is with us in the midst of the battle of the world, the devil, and the flesh. And so let's just call it this way. The world, the devil, and the flesh, uh, they've been called something, there's a nickname for them, the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity. And uh, maybe it's not a systematic theology term, but people have been calling it that, the unholy trinity, the world, the devil, and the flesh. And then on the other side of it is the holy trinity, God Almighty, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we actually have the investment of the Father, Son, and Spirit into our lives in the midst of us dealing with this sin. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to grasp some of the roles of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in coming along with us in this journey as we battle against sin, all right? So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. 1 John 2, starting in verse 15. And uh, first point, there is hope. The Father opposes the world. God the Father opposes the world. There is hope. And please hear me, you are not alone. God loves you with all he's got, and he's pouring into your life with all he has. And as we move through these passages today, we're going to be taking a look at all that God's doing to care for you. So 1 John 2, starting in verse 15, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Let's just hold there. Do not love the world. This is a command form. Don't do this. Don't get your love, your passion, your hungers like all bent on the world. Like all set on trying to make it all about whatever the the world has to offer, you're longing for, you're desiring of, you're wishing that that could be it, you're trying to put your mindset on, like don't do that. If we love the world, it's we start to value that more than anything else. Be careful where you place your values. Be careful where you place your passions. He's like, do not love the world or the things in the world. And this would mean those physical things all around us, but more than just the physical things of the world, it's also the methods and the means and the focuses and approaches of the world and, and everything that this world is made up of. It says, don't get all bent and hooked on the world. Watch out for that. If anyone loves the world, if anyone has this deep passion, long-standing commitment with the world, doesn't know how to break it, hooked on it, it's all about themselves, the love of the Father is not in him. To let that settle, that is a huge statement. If there is a love of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we can see right away there is an opposition here. The world on one side, the Father on the other. And where the love of the Father is, he's got a passion for God getting all the glory. He's got a hunger for what is good. God is delivering all of that up, and he's delivering a love into our lives, and it fosters a love in us. And us having a love for the Father will direct and take us 
to what is good. What God sees as and what God delivers up is good. And man, if we're running after the world, know this, you are running for the things the Father is not. And he's like, heads up, it's a really big deal. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is a huge problem. Don't kid yourself trying to toy around with the things of the world and thinking it's going to work out okay. That's not the way it comes out. And uh, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now he gives three things that the world has. The desires of the flesh, all right, here's that word again, flesh. So this is that giant sea of selfishness inside, right? And the desires from the sea of selfishness, these waves that rise up, these giant, as we described them before, these wantings that you have, that's the flesh. It's the wantings. Remember, Satan presses in on the thoughts. He drives the thoughts. The flesh, well, the flesh drives the wants. And so these wants are welling up within. They're usually driven by physical needs or some kind of emotional need that we start longing to try to replace by ourselves. We're going to become the filler of that. That's the flesh. Uh, I will fulfill myself in these areas. And uh, so he says the desires of the flesh, these wantings that well up and we fill them with self-satisfactions and self-protections and self-love self-respect along the way that ends up destroying us. He's like, the desires of the flesh are part of the world. Did you know that? Like, the world kind of leads you into those areas where you are weak and tries to speak to those things and make them look good. And uh, The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. Like, we are designed to like what is beautiful. We actually respect what looks good. We do. And the desires of the eyes, there's nothing wrong with appreciating beauty around us. And we start to get attracted to things that look good, and we try to call that close to us. I mean, you think about it, you're like, you know, the house you pick out. Like, what does it look like? Am I okay with it? Or maybe my cars. What does my car look like? What clothing do I wear? Even what boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, and we start having this... um, preference of look, and we try to draw it in close. There's nothing wrong with appreciating beauty, but let me tell you, when our appreciation for art, our artistry becomes arrogance, we got a real problem with idolatry. When our love of beauty becomes arrogance, we have a massive problem with idolatry. Whether it's you think you can design it yourself, or you have to have it close to you because it says something about you, right? And when our eyes start to get attracted to things and we try to pull it in close just because of what it makes a statement about us with, we've got issue going on. Be careful with the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes. And then the last one, the pride of life, which actually these are all kind of woven together, right? You can feel it as you start to draw in on the things that make you want, as you go after those things that you see as beautiful and try to pull them in close, it starts showing you off, right? The pride of life starts welling up. Do you see how cool I am? Do you see what I have? Right? That thing has to be very carefully watched. That is actually of the world. A message of what the flesh says or what the eyes want or what the pride is longing for and banging for and be super careful. Those are the things of the world. He's like, don't love those. Be cautious what you're hooked into. He said, that is not from the Father, but is from 
the world. These three things are not from the Father, but are from the world. Can you feel the opposition now? We have the world that pushes down on the boat, and God the Father is like, fence line away from that. Like, watch yourself. Be careful and wise what you do here. Man, how you fence line will be driven largely by your view of the Father. Just so you know that. How you fence line, you're going to begin to perceive as the Father perceives it. Your fence lines are going to wisely reflect Him and His value system. The Father stands in opposition to the world. And it says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The will of the Father is opposed to the will of the world. And so our goal in fence lining is to mirror the will of the Father. May God get all the glory. Our fence lines are looking to model the will of the Father and respecting that, all right? So I just thought I'd write these down. As we go through today, we'll look at the different roles here. So the role of God the Father in our lives. What's the role of God the Father in our lives? Here we go. First one, he wills. Like he is actively willing into our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy will be done. Right? Talking to the Father, your will be done. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, your will be done, not mine. Right? The Father has a will. He moves in this world. He is sovereign over the world. In fact, you've heard us say this several times before, right? But sovereignty... It is about being over all, because if you're not sovereign over all, you're not sovereign at all, right? Sovereignty is about the allness of it, and the Father has a will that covers the allness of the world. He wills. That's one of the things the Father does. Number two, He blesses. He blesses. Ephesians 1.3, by the way, that one comes out of Matthew 6, that first one. And now Ephesians 1.3, He blesses us in Christ with spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3. He blesses us. Did you know that? All the good things that come, spiritual blessings in Christ, comes from God the Father. In fact, not just spiritual blessings, but James 1.17 also says, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, says the King James. Have you ever had those verses you memorized as a kid in some other translation and you try to memorize it in some other translation growing up and it's like, it ain't happening, man. Like I memorized that in the King James, it's stuck. There is no variableness nor shadow of turning with the Father. Good luck on understanding those words. We've never used those in our definitions today, right? But King James wording there, know this. God the Father, he is massively involved in what good things are coming into your life. Every good thing comes from him. Praise God be to God. He wills, he blesses. Number three, he draws. Did you know that? John 6, 37, he draws those coming to him. It says, whom the Father draws will come. He's involved in this salvation uh, experience. And man, there are whole books written on how that all works out, but know this, God the Father is invested into salvation. He is doing some level of drawing, he is invested in. He wills. He blesses. He draws. The Father has a sovereign will, and he's working in this world. God the Father, right? And all of God's people said, you know, in the Old Testament, thousands of years of life and living, right? 
And these, these guys were living, the Jews, Jewish nation was living together and trying to worship God and they were praying to him. And, you know, they had some names that they used as they were praying to him. And if you go back and look in the Old Testament, like one of the names he used is Elohim. Elohim, it means powers. It's in the plural. It means powers. It's saying all-powerful one. So like one of the names they use is all-powerful one. In fact, when you're looking in the Old Testament and you see the word God in the Old Testament, G-O-D, in the English we see that, that usually is the word Elohim in the Hebrew. It means all-powerful one, one who has it all together, one who can do anything. I pray to you, right? They use that name, God, all-powerful one. But you know, there came a point where God ended up uh, coming down and meeting with Moses and saying, hey, let me tell you a few things about me. And Moses, being a little nervous, he revealed out his personal name. Like, here is my personal name. Here's what you can call me. My name is the I Am. And he's like, it means I don't have an eternity beginning or an eternity end. Always existed. I don't depend on anyone else. From eternity to eternity, I am. That is my personal name. And that name in the Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh. In fact, just a little bit right after that, there was uh, the Ten Commandments given out, and God in the Ten Commandments is like, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And so when they put those two together, the Jewish nation being super careful was like, we will never say the word Yahweh. I'm never going to use that word because what if I accidentally misuse and take the Lord's name in vain? I'm not going to do that. And so they ended up filling in another name anytime they were now alluding to Yahweh, even if they were reading the scripture where that word was written, they wouldn't say it. Instead, they would say another word. They'd say the word Adonai. It means Lord or Master, like you're in charge. And it was reflecting on the personal nature of this great God who had come into their life. And they're like, you take over. Those were some of the names they had, all-powerful one, or the one from eternity past to eternity future, personally known, or Adonai, Master and Lord. That's who they had. Then came Jesus. And all of a sudden, the God of the universe stepped into their backyard. And as they got to know Jesus Christ, as he started to do works among them, they began to be in awe of God completely come down and now in this world. And they're like, how does this all work? And they started talking to him and watching him as he started healing people. And they were in awe with these miracles being done. He started speaking out. And they're like in awe of the depth of knowledge that he had. Look at all he knows and can do. And so they asked this question, what does it look like to pray? How are you so connected to the God of the universe? How does this work? And he said, here's how you pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Like that is a mind blow moment as he says to them, use the name Father. See, up until then, it was all powerful one, almighty one, eternal one. And it's not that they hadn't seen Father as some sort of metaphor about God, but now he's calling him Daddy, Father. He's like, here's the deal, man. Deeply relational and right here with you. This is fam, and he is your father. That's how you start praying to God. Can you imagine how their prayer life changed? Our father, 
who's in heaven. And yet at the same time that he brought this extreme, close, relational, familial, he did not drop the massive greatness of God the Father. Look at the rest. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then they went to the private. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. God, may your will help fence line my life to keep me away from the things of the world. God the Father. And I'm telling you, it is a massively powerful moment to recognize God loves you. And he is your daddy your father, and he's ready to lead you in ways unbelievable. So question, how are you doing praying and talking to the father? How are you doing in responding to him as the one who is so close and so relational? Are you leaning on him? All right. Number two, there is hope. The son opposes the devil. There is hope. The son opposes the devil. Let's just go over one chapter. We were in 1 John 2. Now we're in 1 John 3. Go to verse 8. And uh, remember, the father opposed the world. Now here we have the son, Jesus Christ, opposing the devil. And he says here, whoever makes a practice of sinning, Whoever makes a practice of sinning, let's make sure we really understand this in the original language. This is an ongoing sin behavior with a refusal to confess and repent. Whoever is going unrepentant, refusal to deal with it, nonstop in sin, that's it. I don't want to hear about it. I'm going to continue in sin. I am not going to get this thing confessed. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's pretty heavy words, man. Like the bottom line is, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, if we are trusting in Christ, if we are saved, then the constant ongoing, it's just going to be about being in sin and I don't care what's happening. My boat is tipped. I'm constantly taking on water. Couldn't care less. Not getting it confessed. Gonna keep living for me. Man, please hear me. That is of the devil. That is not saved. That is dangerous to be playing with. That I am just going to live in sin and not worry about where it's coming from and not worry about where I'm headed. And that is not what God is leading us to. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This ongoing, unrepentant refusal to get out of sin well, that's been going on from the beginning. Now, people have a couple of different thoughts about what the beginning might mean. Most likely, it probably means the beginning as we see it in Scripture, Genesis 1, the intro of Satan coming in. Well, he actually is already sinning as he's tempting and drawing and pulling, and he's already collapsed. From the beginning of what we know of this creation, Satan in this presence is absolutely making it all about self and unrepentant the entire time. It's like, just heads up. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. If we desire to keep ongoing sin without any confession, and that is not the work of God in the life, okay? He says here, the reason the Son of God appeared. Everybody say, the reason. Like, this is a super huge deal. Here comes the purpose statement. The reason. 
the Son of God appeared. The Son of God. Everybody say, that's Jesus. All right, so now we have Jesus Christ. He's coming into this world. Why? Was to destroy the works of the devil. Was to destroy him. Please hear me. What it is not was to kind of make it a little bit harder for the devil to make any impact. Not that. Everybody say, not that. Was to destroy the works of the devil was to put to an end what Satan was accomplishing. Man, you gotta think what Satan was feeling. As he gets dropped down into this world, he gets the title, little g, God of this world, right? Like he gets to be in charge and move. What's the first thing he does? Train wreck creation. He's got man drifting all over the place, doing whatever they want sinfully. All of a sudden, this world's falling apart. He's got murder He's got bad attitude, everything's falling apart, and he comes over and he's like, I am rocking my plan. Just so we're super clear, even as Jesus came into this world, Satan believed rocking his plan. And as Jesus was taken to the cross, rocking his plan, Satan thought for sure this is it. And as he ends up having Jesus Christ killed, his blood shed for you and for me, his body broken. Satan thought he was actually beating Jesus in this world. Can you imagine what Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, was like as our King and our God, as he now takes breath again, and there is resurrection unto new life, and there is victory in this world and death is defeated, and sin is paid for, and the angels erupt in celebration as they now see what's going on. We serve an amazing God. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Know this, Jesus Christ destroys the work of the devil. We have hope. And all of God's people said, Man, as he dies for us and as he rose for us, we have life because of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hope in him. Right? Well, as we talked about the role of the Father, let's talk about the role of the Son for a second. So the role of Jesus in this world and in our lives. The role of Jesus. First, uh, he frees us from sin. We just talked about that, Romans 6, 6 and 7. He frees us from sin, Romans 6, 6 and 7. And literally, we are able to be freed from the penalty of sin. And here on this earth, while it is a daily battle, we can experience victory in this daily world. And eventually, ultimately, sin will be removed. The flesh gone, no more pain, no more sorrow, completely done. Jesus Christ, he is bringing a freedom from sin, partial now and complete then. Praise be to God. Know this, man. Jesus brings freedom from sin. Number two, he defends from Satan's accusations. First John 2, 1. He defends from Satan's accusations. 1 John 2, 1, did you know that? That Satan enters the presence of Almighty God when we sin, and he's like, 
Did you see that guy? Like, what is with that? That's ridiculous, as he points out the sin and the hypocrisy and the error of it all and how it stands against God. And know this, man. 1 John 2, 1 says that Jesus Christ is your advocate. He's your lawyer who takes his stand and says, whoa, 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 hang on. That one is ours. My blood has covered their sin. They are saved. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This does not hold. This condemnation is already paid for. This is done. Man, you got to know your God, Jesus Christ, standing on your behalf. This is covered. That's him for you. He loves you with all he's got. Advocacy, man, as he takes a stand in the moment, in the middle of our sin. Praise be to God. And, uh, now a couple future ones. Number three, he will defeat all rebellion. He will defeat all rebellion. Revelation 19, 15. And we have a time coming when Jesus Christ will return on the white horse and he will have a name tattooed on his thigh that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will be coming in to finally put it all to rest. And as he comes in, the only weapon he will have is the sword, which is his word. That's it. And what he says goes. And as he comes in on his white horse, all of us coming along with just along for the ride as he does an amazing final end to rebellion. Jesus Christ, he will defeat all rebellion. We have hope. And all of God's people said, and don't miss it, this is a guaranteed victory, period. Don't miss it. He will defeat and ultimately, number four, he will rule as king over all, Revelation 19, 16. He will rule as king over all. He is going to take the throne that is called the throne of David. He is going to rule there as Messiah, Savior forever. He will take us home to that glory. And please hear me, man, as he takes us from this broken world, sin is done. And he now takes over as king and leads us into a perfection where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache. It's all over. We are worshiping him in full and complete glory. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ, he will rule as king over all. You know, you think back to those times when Maybe you were on the playground. Somebody started picking on your sibling. You know, maybe you're the older brother, or maybe you're the younger, and you had to do some standing up yourself. And, and, and people are picking on, and all of a sudden, somebody's like, hey, that is my sister, man. Back off, right? Hey, that's my brother. Do you understand who you're talking to, right? That is my brother. Back off. In that moment of protection, some of you are like, yeah, I never experienced that in my life. Would have been nice if my siblings did a little more of that here and there, right? And uh, the reality is, man, the playground of accusation and attack, know this. Biblically, Jesus Christ is called the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus Christ, he is actually your brother. Did you know that? 
biblically your brother. He is the son of God and we are adopted in as the children of God. You are literally the sibling of the king of the universe. And all of a sudden, as you are getting pressed in and pressed down, it is very fair, legit words to go, dude, have you ever met my brother? This is my God. I worship him with all I've got. I will bring everything I have and nothing stands between me and him. I worship Jesus Christ. He is my big brother. He is the firstborn from among the dead. And I give him my all. And are you ready to worship the one who has not left you alone, but has freed you from sin and managed all of your eternity? Praise be to God. May we give it to him with all we've got. Simply put, how are you doing at worshiping Jesus Christ? How are you doing at daily remembering what he's done for you and bringing it to him? All right? Number three, there is hope. The spirit opposes the flesh. So we remember, we've got the father who opposes the world. We've got the son who opposes the devil. And now we've got the last one, the spirit opposes the flesh from Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Literally, allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your boat. Be saved, right? And as the Spirit is now in the boat with you, transforming and renewing your mind and your spirit, allow him to begin to navigate your boat on the waters of the sea of selfishness. To walk by the Spirit is to let the Spirit lead daily as you navigate the waters of the sea of selfishness, the flesh, right? This is the exact same term, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the same term as what we've been talking about already, the flesh, that sea of selfishness going on. The flesh actually has its own desires, and they are opposed to the Spirit, The flesh's desires is to take what could be normally viewed as very good. There's nothing wrong with like safety and and being loved and being respected and all those things, being satisfied. But what happens is the flesh, once we've been separated from God, it finds all those satisfactions in self. That's where it goes wrong. The flesh is banging and longing for the wants and the desires of, of self to be satisfied by self. And that is constantly against what the Spirit is driving for. The Holy Spirit opposes the flesh, and the flesh opposes the Spirit. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. The Spirit is constantly looking to transform us, renew us, lift us up and show us more of who Christ is. May we constantly be glorifying God Almighty. The Holy Spirit is looking to do a transforming work in your life and the Spirit is looking to make you, or the flesh is looking to make you all about self. They oppose each other in a huge way. Notice it says, the flesh opposes the Spirit to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Doesn't this sound exactly like Romans chapter seven? Like if you know that passage, Romans 7, it says, the good that I want to do, I, I, I don't find myself doing. 
And that which I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, right? In fact, if you were to quote that really fast, it's a serious tongue twister. The good that I don't want to do, if I was, right? And all of a sudden you're like, well, I don't even know. I'm so confused with Romans 7 is simply saying this. Why is it that I always find myself responding to the sea of selfishness? Why is it that I want to do these other things in this boat with the mind and the spirit, but it seems to get dragged down? What's going on? And this is making it really clear because the sea of selfishness is constantly pushing against the spirit. And so the spirit is pushing against the flesh. And we need to learn to take a stand regularly and daily against that flesh rising up. Our job is literally to say, Holy Spirit, lead me to lower waters. I'm ready to flee. Take me where I need to go. So I'll just say this. What's the role of the spirit? We talked about the role of the father, the role of the son. So the role of the Spirit. First, he convicts of sin. He convicts, John 16, 8. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Number two, he guides into all truth. He guides, John 16, 13. Literally, he will show you what is true. Holy Spirit guides into all truth. Man, you are not in this journey alone. Holy Spirit daily guiding you into all truth. Number three, he glorifies the Son. John 16, 14, I love this. The Spirit glorifies the Son, the Son's glorifying the Father, and the Father is bringing it all together with all three being lifted up. There is a massive togetherness and never are they about themselves, right? And the Spirit glorifies the Son, John 16, 14. So he convicts, he guides, he glorifies the Son. Number four, he comforts. John 14, 16, man, if you are hurting, if you are in heartache, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you're needing and he's whispering into your soul, comfort. Come to him. Let God love you and take care of you. John 14, 16, he comforts. And then talking about the salvation stuff, number five here, he regenerates. Titus 3, 5, This is when the Holy Spirit jumps in the boat with you for the first time. This is salvation, when literally he turns you over into someone who's willing to be responding to God and he jumps in the boat. That's regeneration, is the Holy Spirit with you. And then number six, he transforms, 2 Corinthians 3, 16. He transforms as his glory starts pouring on the boat. He's starting to transform your mind and your spirit. He starts doing this amazing, changing work. He's transforming. Do you hear how much work the Spirit is doing in our daily life and walk? It is all about Him in the boat with you. You are not alone as He begins to point and change and transform along the way. And then the last one, number seven, He prays on your behalf. When you are wordless because of the depth of the hurt, Romans 8, 26, He prays on your behalf. And please hear me, you are not alone. God the Father loves you with all he's got and pours his love in. He is sovereign in his will over all as he pours blessings on regularly. God the Son, he loves you with all he's got. He opposes Satan. He has destroyed his works. He's got it in hand and his work on the cross will last 
forever. Come to him, believe in him, trust in him, and watch God do an amazing work in your life. The Father opposes the world, the Son opposes the devil, and the Spirit opposes the flesh. He does a huge work in your life as he teaches you how to get out of the high raging waters, as he teaches you how to be built up more, your boat transformed to bigger, badder, more buoyant, more buoyant along the way, him doing a work in you. He loves you. And he's bringing a huge glory to God as he's absolutely making much of him along the way. Man, please hear me. This journey is not to make much of self. Ready? And all of God's people said, this journey is not to make much of self. We serve the God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are so worth worshiping. May we bring our everything, and may they rock our world. That is a serious message of, you are not alone. And all of God's people said, let's pray.